0: All right, praise the Lord. Well, welcome and good morning to all. And we're going to continue our series on holiness uh, this morning. And um, we're going to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7, and we'll continue looking through the scriptures here in this section of our study. And so, again, this is a lot of, a lot of things are being reiterated and will be reiterated. And Paul the Apostle even took that approach. Um, by way of, uh, of, reiterating and reminding and and uh, illustrating the various truths, and so this is why I'm following this pattern through Romans. But we're looking in at holiness in this series, and we're uh, what is holiness. I hope you know that by now. How it is achieved? Well, that's what we're looking at, and we've established a couple of things as fa- as foundations. In relation to that, but, uh, and, it, and, it, uh, and the two aspects, our position and the practical aspects of holiness in our lives. The two are inter- intricately connected in the way in which they are to manifest themselves in our lives and our conduct. And so we're examining the book of Romans because it, uh, it's, it's so clear and lays a foundation for us in our understanding of how to live the Christian life, how to live the Christian life. In the, in the new covenant, especially, obviously, that's being outlined for us. And so Paul is eloquently outlining this to us and how to live a life that is right and pleasing to God because that is what is required of us, to walk worthy before the Lord. And so holiness is critical and central to this whole process. And so we began to identify last week, as we were looking at Romans chapter six, you will recall that Paul was beginning to now introduce that uh, we have an obligation, our responsibility towards holiness and to how we need to present ourselves to God, yield ourselves to God, offer ourselves to God. Because unless we take this approach, then how is the Spirit of God going to uh, exercise uh, control? How are we going to live and walk in the Spirit? How is the Spirit going to live and rule in us? And so he establishes a few truths in the in chapter 6 which was uh, he said knowing this remember he said verse 6 of chapter 6 knowing this that our old man was crucified and that's our uh, that's the reality of uh, the 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 adamic nature the the flesh uh, the old man as it's known and so uh, it was judicially judged at the cross God he dealt with uh, sin once and for all And in doing so, we see the identification there with Christ. And so so that's why he says in verse 11, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. Because the reality is, is we have died to sin, judicially. And so if sin has been dealt with through Calvary on the cross and done away with, and now God has given us his spirit and we are identified with Christ and alive in Christ, then we must live in the power of the Spirit Walk in the power of the Spirit and live a life that is holy. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Contrary to that is what Paul is teaching us. And so the third point he makes in Romans 6 is that we are to present ourselves and our members as instruments of righteousness unto holiness and have unto our, uh, unto the Lord the uh, uh, bearing fruit, fruit to holiness. So... We see that. And so we've uh, identified and are identifying, and I repeat these things deliberately, but we have emphasised that we are in the dispensation of the Spirit, if it, to use that term. And in, the, in that period of the new covenant where the Spirit of God is being poured out and the Spirit of God lives in us and is, is uh, alive in us and we are alive to God, we have also what we call the administration of the Spirit in the New Covenant. So it's the Spirit working in and through our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches. It's the Holy Spirit that guides us. It's the Holy Spirit, the life of God in us that gives us life and life more abundant. And everything that we possess as a result of the Spirit of God that has now resides and lives in us and is the advocate of Christ and makes all of those things real. And so, true holiness this morning can only be achieved through and by the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And I pray that this truth is being burnt into our understanding, that you are uh, having already identified it and spoken of it. Again, we're seeing it, and we're going to see it even further as Paul reiterates it in, in, this, uh, in this portion of texts in his writings here in the book of Romans. And so... Uh, Paul is seeking to establish these glorious truths. And remember, even though we're going to be looking at chapter 7, verse 1, this is really a continuation of Paul's writing. It's a letter. Remember, there was no verses, no chapters. So this is a continuation of Paul's thoughts. We're picking up and we're following. So it's not like it ended at chapter, verse 23 and now he's just going to talk about something else in chapter one, 7 verse 1. No, it's directly related and still in context and still uh, he's uh, demonstrating various truths to us that we want to identify with this morning. So let's read from chapter 7 verse 1 through to verse 6 as our text, but we'll be reading more than that. Paul writes and he says, Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, She marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now again, Paul is is continuing on and he's continuing to highlight and to reiterate this truth that he wants those that he's writing to, and that even us as the Holy Spirit, God wants us to understand this morning. Because this whole emphasis here is that we have uh, died to the law and that we are free. Now listen to this, we are free from the law. And you'll say, well, in what sense? Well, in the sense that by keeping the law, we're never going to... Fulfill the righteous standards that God demands. The Bible says in Galatians uh, 3, I think it is, um, where it it says, If there was a law that could have uh, given life, then righteousness would have come through the law. If there was a law, just one. If there was one law that God could set in place that could cause us to attain to life, give us life and to establish righteousness, then it would have come through that. But that, the law could never do that because the law through the law, sin abounded because of the sinful nature that we have. So the law brought death and condemnation to us. So in the Christian life, we begin to see that the, Christ is the end of the law, Romans 10, 4. And so we're talking about something that's far superior and far greater than the law, and that is Christ himself, Christ and his spirit. This is what Paul's talking about. And so he's wanting to make the doctrine of Christ, if you want to use that term, clear as he continues to write to the Roman church. And he says in verse 1, he says, Do you not know, brethren, uh, and I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now, obviously, he's talking here and he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, but he's referring to, obviously, the Jews in this instance in that he's expecting them to understand the whole emphasis and purpose of law. But you don't have to be a Jew to understand law. You understand that if a, a law is passed, that law is binding, right? Right? that law exercises a dominion. So that's why if we break the law or transgress the law, we have, uh, we're in serious trouble. And that's why the law has dominion over an individual. And so uh, uh, it's in that context that Paul is wanting us to understand this truth that he is about to teach us. And so laws have dominion. They have rule over individuals. But Paul is now wanting to show us and demonstrate to us and illustrate that the law uh, uh, has no relationship now to the Christian in the context of establishing any righteousness before God or um, uh, uh, bringing about a condemnation or death to our lives and bringing about judgment. But rather he's now showing us that we are uh, in Christ Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness. We are in Christ, being born from above, and in Him. And how now that we are in Christ, how that relationship to Christ and our position in Christ—again, how it's to practically manifest itself. This is what He's talking about. He's talking about the spiritual reality of our position in Christ and how it has to practically manifest. There has to be. You, how does, what did Jesus say? You judge a tree what by its fruit. If you claim to know God and uh, you claim that you're born again and you claim these things but you're continuing to just disobey, what's the world going to think? You're going to say, I'm a born again. They're going to say, what are you talking about? You're a Christian. Look at your life. They're going to question that at the very least. So there has to be a practical outflow of holiness and righteousness. So there's a positional and there's a practical and this is what's being reiterated in these verses. So Paul is going to use an illustration of the law and he's going to use the law of marriage to demonstrate our relationship to Christ and our position in Christ. So look at verse number two. He says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Now think about it. Have a man and a woman, they get married. The Bible says the two become one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate, right? Marriage, we're talking about the law of marriage. You know, the law of marriage is not got to do with uh, the, um, you know, the government. It's I'll fulfill a part of it. But fundamentally, marriage is something that God has ordained. And the law of marriage has been set up by God. And so when a, a, a man and a woman get married, they are bound by the covenant of marriage for the rest of their lives. And so Paul is saying that, because uh, what happens is if a woman uh, divorces her husband and marries another, while the husband is still alive, what does it say? They've committed adultery. That doesn't go too well in our generation today, would it? Oh, I just, don't, I just don't feel like I, I've just lost the feelings. You know, we just don't, love, I just don't love him like I used to or him or her, whatever. Hello, love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. And there's a covenant. And so where we have today, people are being given in marriage and then they're divorcing themselves and then they're given over again to marriage. And what we have is we have, we have adulterers out there. And so that's incidental, but we'll get back on, to, on track. But we're making the point because the only, according to Paul and God's word here, the only thing that's going to release the individual is that if the husband dies, the woman is free to marry or vice versa. And so then, the, therefore, as long as they, the, the husband lives, that, Paul is saying the woman is under the dominion and the rule of that law. She can't be free, free from it. And if she breaks it, she'll be condemned by it. And so, he's using this to illustrate the Christian's relationship to the law, not the law of marriage, but to the law, and to Christ. Look at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So now we have died to the law through the body of Christ, and so Christ, having died for us and having borne in his body in his flesh our our, our sin, and and brought about the uh, judgment and justification and all of those things, and so now we have died to the law; it has no hold on us; it can't condemn us. It can't declare us guilty because God's declared us now in Christ forgiven and justified freely by His grace. And so now we are married to Christ. So the law no longer has dominion over us. We are now under Christ. But again, there's a lot more to understand in relation to this, but we'll get to it. Look at Romans 8 verse 2. The Bible says there, it says, For the law of the spirit of life... In Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm free from the law of sin and death. I'm free because now I'm married to Christ. The spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, has freed me from the, the law of sin and of death. Again, we'll illustrate this further as we have, but the same scripture in, in Galatians 2, verse 19. Paul. Is writing to the Galatians and he says, I, look at verse 19, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. You see, and so this is our old man has been crucified with him. And we walk in a newness of life. We're identifying with this, we are alive unto God. This is the whole point. That's why he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is, again, reiterating the positional truth of our righteousness. We're dead to the law. We're free from the law. We can't come under condemnation. We're married to Christ. And we're declared righteous in him. So, in the light of the fact that we are in union with Christ and that we're not under the dominion of the law, the question is, who are we under the dominion of? Are we just free to do whatever we want, when we want, how we want? No, we're free from the law to be married to another. Okay? Another. That is Christ. And so if we're married to Christ, does that mean, oh well, if... uh, If grace abounds so much, why don't we just continue to live in sin, right? (laughs) Certainly not. You're you're not catching it, Paul's saying. Now you're married to Christ, and he says um, uh, that you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should what? Bear fruit to God. Bear fruit to God. What fruit is that? Well, in the context of what he's talking about, Holiness. That's what he's talking about. We're going back to Romans 6.1, all the way back there, the previous chapter. It's talking about a holy life and living a life that is pleasing to God and acceptable to God. Bear fruit to God. So now that we're married to Christ, we bear fruit because Christ is holy. Christ is righteous. Christ is without sin. And so God, uh, as as Christ is in us and we are in him... God's not going to allow us just to um, do what we want and how we want. He's going to say, you know what? You have an obligation to do what's right. And and you bear fruit to righteousness. So we can see that word again, fruit. Fruit. Look at verse 5. He says, For when we were in the flesh, that is uh, is the old man that he refers to previously in chapter 6, for when we were in Adam, in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So when, when, we, were, when we were not in Christ, the natural outflow of our lives was that, we, uh, that, um, that through the law, he says, we, the, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Because the law could never produce righteousness, right? We established that. All the Lord did is arouse the sinful nature that's in us and that's what Paul's going to talk about in the, the verses to come because the law produces nothing. In fact, it actually is counterproductive. It doesn't make the law bad, as Paul, as Paul were right, but rather it demonstrates the sinfulness of sin. But sinful passions were aroused by the law and they were at work in our members that we bore fruit to death. See, our sinful nature... Bore fruit to death. But look at verse 6. But now, but now. Listen to those words. Underline it. Actually, funny enough, I just was speaking to Brother um, Isaac before church, looking, flicking through his Bible, and he had in the book of Proverbs all the highlights of the word but, but, to make the contrasts. But, 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 but. And so that's what we should do, because when Paul says but now, there's a great emphasis because that was but now it's not and so but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should what serve in the newness of the spirit not in the oldness of the letter that we should serve in the newness of the spirit not in the oldness of the letter and so that is that we don't live according to the law, to an outward law now, but rather we walk in the newness of life and the newness of the Spirit. That's where we live. That's our position. That's to be our reality. Now, let me say this this morning. I think that um, um, one of the uh, things that I've noted in, in, from my own experience and over years as a Christian is a lot of Christians fail to understand and appropriate the truth that Paul's reiterating and talking about here. And so, because it sounds great, and it is great, but living and walking in the newness of the Spirit is sometimes not an automatic thing for the Christian because we fail to grasp these truths. And so we try and live the Christian life in the power of our own flesh, in the power of our will, in the power of our you know, resolve uh, to do it ourselves, and yet we fail to do that time and time again. The intentions are good. But see, if, you, if we're going to live by an outward form of, of law, we will always fail. And this is what Paul is talking about. And Christians can be ignorant of this truth. And so, you know, we try and live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. I won't do this. I'm never going to do that again. Or, and so we set up these rules and, uh, um, and so forth. But that always leads to failure over and over because that's what Paul's talking about and this is what he's going to show us. Remember to, Paul said to the Galatians, he says, having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? That's, that's, that's what we can do. That's what happens to Christians. Thank God for his grace and then we try and live the Christian life in the power of the, of the will and the power of our own strength and that just burns us out and makes us tired and over months, weeks, months and years we, we get to the end of ourselves and then all of a sudden God says, oh, now I'll show you my provision. (laughs) Now I'll show you what I've provided for you. And you go, oh my gosh, the Spirit. (laughs) And the newness of the Spirit. But that's okay. That's how God works. That's how it works. It's not a... uh, I say that because that's my experience. I say that because I know it's the experience of others. I say that because it's Paul's experience. And so Paul spends the whole rest of this chapter demonstrating the failure of those who try and live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. Listen to that. Paul spends the rest of this chapter demonstrating the failure of those who will try and live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. Now, there's been debate over the years whether, in Romans chapter 7, they say, oh, was it, is, is, is Paul talking to the regenerate or the unregenerate? Is he talking to Christians or the non-Christians, and he, when he gives this example and what he speaks in Romans 7? But I tell you that the truth applies to both. It applies to human nature. And so whether you're unsaved, it's a truth. If you live in, as a Christian according to the flesh, then it applies to you too, because you'll get caught in the same trap. So it applies to both. And so let's read it and just identify with it. Look at verse 15. Paul says for what I am doing, uh, well in fact let's go back to 13, Uh, he says has then what is good become death to me, that is the, the law he's referring to and he says certainly not but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful, again sin was abounding because of the law for we know that the law is spiritual okay nothing wrong with the law but i am carnal sold under sin for what i am doing i do not understand for what i will to do that i do not practice but what i hate that i do if then i do what i will not to do i agree with the law that it is good but now it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells within me this is the principle of sin for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find it. Verse 19, For the good that I will to do, that I don't do, and the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Have you ever had that experience? As a Christian, even? Yeah. It's not just applying to the sinner here, and the unregenerate, it applies to the Christian too. We, we find ourselves, when we don't appropriate God's provision, and, uh, and uh, his power, we find ourselves in exactly the same place. Verse 20, Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I do it, but the sin that dwells in me, the, the sin principles, that, that sin nature that wants to dominate and to dictate and traps us every time. And even if you have the best intentions, which is what Paul's talking about, I'm, I, I will to do what is good, but I don't do it. I always fail. I seem to stuff up. And that's because of the sinful nature, and we can't correct that in and of ourselves. So he says it's sin that dwells in me. Verse 21, I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. And this is the struggle. This is the flesh and the spirit. That wars in what? The Christian, right? And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. If and then he says... O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, if you if you stop there, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? It is. Because it, Paul's presenting uh, the, the, the wretchedness of the human condition without God, without, uh, without Christ, without God's power, without God's spirit, without God's provision, we are doomed. We're wretched. But you see, the point that he's making is, is as wretched that we are, it doesn't end there. He's using all of that to highlight the greater truth. And the greater truth is this, verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is deliverance (coughs) through Christ. And that's what he says in verse 6 of chapter 7 he says for we have now been delivered but now we are delivered and uh, and in our position we are now delivered practically by the power of the spirit in the newness of the spirit to live and to walk and bear fruit to god and to live a life that's pleasing and live a life that's holy and be free from the power of sin you see this is the problem in christian circles with a lot of holiness teachings is that the intention is 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 good for the most part where they want to they, they love god they're serious about holiness but holiness movements will set up a, a bunch of standards and a bunch of rules that if you're going to profess the name of christ and if you're going to belong to this church then you're going to have to abide by these rules and the rules in and of themselves may be noble. But in principle, it is a dangerous, and a, a, a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. In fact, it's deadly. Now, it will always fail because that's the nature of the flesh and it's the nature of the law of sin. You have to live the Christian life in the spirit. And if you don't and you set up fleshly commandments, then you're going you're gonna to fall into problems. And it's interesting because in my as I studied this over the years, as I meditated it, and as I worked through a lot of issues, I uh, <clears throat> I came into and I read a statement by a particular man by the name of William Kelly, is an older gentleman. his passed now, but William Kelly was part of the Brethren movement, and he was in there as part of its in the formative years with a lot of the prominent founders of the Brethren movement. One being John Darby, um, William Kelly. Uh, there was. Um, I forget the names now off the top of my head. There are others. But they're the two that I'm thinking of because Cully was associated with Darby. And anyway, the Brethren movement broke up. And it split. And it split for these very issues uh, uh, that we're dealing with. And John Darby started what became known as the Plymouth Brethren. And they were serious about not being separate from the world. They were serious about holiness. But they began to set up an outward system have rules and so they became uh, so the Derby group party group became ultimately called the, Bre- the, the Plymouth brethren and then they formed into what we know as the exclusive brethren or the closed brethren and if we talk about an exclusive brethren today what do you think of legalism cultism because the intent may have been good in the beginning but the fruit thereof would come out, and that's what you saw. So you had the a split, you had the closed brethren, and the open brethren. And it went from there. But it was dealing with the same things in principle that we're talking about, and that I've had to wrestle with in my life. But let me quote, if I can, because what Kelly, uh, William Kelly says, I think, is profound. He says these words. He says, some good men, not evil men, good men, good men who in grievous error would impose the law as a rule of life for the Christian mean very well by it. But the whole principle is false. Because the law, instead of being a rule of life, is necessarily a rule of death to the one who has sin in his nature. That's what Paul's saying here. Far from being a delivering power, having an outward rule of life and law is not going to bring deliverance to nobody. He says, far from being a delivering power, it can only condemn such. Far from being a means of holiness, it is in fact the strength of sin. And that's what Paul's saying in Romans 7. And when you set up an outward form and you start saying these are the rules if you're going to be a Christian, these are the laws you need to obey to live a holy life, then you are, you are entering into and engaging the flesh. You're moving right into the very thing that Paul's condemning and speaking against. Because what you're doing is the Bible says in Corinthians 1 Corinthians 15, it says the strength of sin is the law. So the law arouses sin in the flesh and then the flesh begins to dominate and to surface and to ascend and all of a sudden the sins of the flesh begin to manifest because you know why because people who know the gospel after the flesh and live the Christian life according to the flesh will end up in this place that Paul writes "O wretched man that you are because you've lived by an outward form of righteousness so you can see it in history. What I'm saying to you is nothing new. Paul was dealt with it in, in, in the Bible. We see it in history in movements. And I saw it in it was the heart of the very reason why I actually left the, uh, the fellowship that I was a part of for 20 years. What we're dealing with right now. What I'm quoting to you. You see, we're married to Christ. And we have to learn to walk in the Spirit. And so we must understand and appropriate the newness of the Spirit and the power and provision that God has made for us. And we'll see, we'll see more of that in, uh, as we go through the holiness series. But I just want to um, conclude with you this morning, and I want to just consider a couple of things. Because as we've looked at this, we find that in two occasions, Paul says in Romans 6, he says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound in effect? And even in light of all of this, it's easy to think, well, can we continue to sin? But the the reality is, is no, no, no. This is what Paul's talking about, that we have deliverance through Jesus Christ, that we are being delivered from the law to be married to Christ, that we will bear fruit to God, and that's what we ought to be doing. So, because a lot of Christians say, oh, uh, I'm free from the law. Oh, you know, and then you say, oh, Christians shouldn't do this. Oh, that's legalistic. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. Okay? Not at all. Uh, um, but but people, Christians will misunderstand what they call antinomianism, without law. Well, I'm a Christian, now I'm saved by grace, I can just live whatever way I want because, you know, um, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. But again, this is... What Paul's been arguing against the whole time, right? So I just want to dwell on this for a moment because we say, "Oh well, I'm free from the law." But what did Paul say in Romans six? He says, "You ought to become a what? Slave. Slave to righteousness. A slave. Oh no, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Yeah, you are. You're free to be a slave." That's what you are. You're free to be a slave of Christ and to present yourselves to God. And you have a choice. God's not going to, um, uh, you know, the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. God's not going to dominate. He wants to dominate. He wants to rule. He wants to uh, exercise his lordship in your, our lives. But he's not, he can't force it himself. And so he doesn't, he doesn't conduct himself in that way. But the Christian life is not... Even though the Bible talks about free from the law, dead to the law, married to Christ, it doesn't mean that we're free from law. And I want to clarify this because the Christian life is not without law this morning. The Christian life is not without law. What does the Bible say? That the law is written where? In our hearts. It's not on tablets of stone anymore, as it was in the old covenant. It's not written on tablets of stone in terms of an outward thing, but now it's all inward. It's just completely changed and God is now, and the law outwardly could never achieve righteousness, but now the spirit in us can. That's what Paul's saying. That's why in Romans 8 verse 2, he says, for the law of the spirit of life. You know, to the spirit of life, there is a law. There's laws that operate within the spiritual life. You're not free to do whatever you want you violate the laws of the spirit then you will bear the consequences of that because there's a law of the spirit of life in christ jesus and yes it does make us free from the law of sin and death in that we are don't, uh, under, now we're not under condemnation that's what it says in verse one of chapter eight but nevertheless we're still un, under law and so isn't it interesting james writes and he says to the church he says live and conduct yourselves as those who will be judged by what the law of liberty live and conduct yourselves in a way in in there he's telling and in fact if you read the context of that he's talking about holiness in fact he's saying separate yourself from all wickedness and all malice and so forth and and he says live and conduct yourselves by the law of liberty so in other words yes it's the law of liberty it's still law but you're at liberty to to submit yourself to God, to present yourself to God, to access and appropriate the power of the Spirit in your life and God's grace to live and to walk the way in which he requires of us. Paul also refers to it in Galatians 6, verse 2. He uses a phrase, he calls the law of Christ. And again, that's got to do with how we conduct ourselves as Christians. But again, holiness encompasses all of those things. In fact, it's about having compassion and love And again, holiness is what? Likeness unto Christ. It's internal, not just external. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. I love God, but you hate your brother. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Holiness means I love my brothers and sisters. I forgive. I reconcile. Because that's the law of Christ. You know, again, if I can... Indulge myself and share this with you because I'm sharing not just the word, but I'm sharing a bit of myself here. But um, I read to you William Kelly before, which was so critical at the time for me in my life and other things, many other things. But also I'd read, uh, I was given a book by uh, Orrin Morgan, and it was called The Way to Pentecost, and it was written by a man named Samuel Chadwick. And I remember reading this; it's just got short chapters in it, but it was just profoundly written, and uh, it was a compilation, I think, of a lot of his writings put together. But Samuel Chadwick, uh, again, he's uh, back in the um, late 19th century, early 20th century. But he wrote and uh, he wrote so eloquently about these glorious truths that I just want to share two quotes of his, if I may, just to, because he does it a lot better than I do. So let me read it to you about the law of the Spirit. He says, The Spirit is the ruler as well as the giver of life. Rule means law, and there is a law of the spirit of life. There is no escape from law. There is a law of the flesh, a law of the mind, a law of sin, and a law of death. There is no escape from law in the life of the unregenerate, and neither is there any escape for those who live in the spirit. It is another law But it's still law. There is a law of faith, a law of peace, a law of truth, a law of life, and a law of the spirit. And so he's emphasizing that if we're going to live a life that's holy and separated to God, then we're going to have to abide by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that the Christian is without law. In fact, it's the opposite and that we are under the law of the Spirit, under the rulership and dominion of the Spirit of God. He goes on to say in another place, if I can quote him again, he says, the Christian religion is not a set of doctrines about Christ. Yes, it involves doctrine. He says, Neither is it, is it a rule of life based upon the teaching and example of Christ. It's not even an earnest and sincere endeavour to live to the mind and spirit of Christ. It is life, is what he says. It is life. And so when we get an understanding of that, in all of these are little subtle misconceptions that we're highlighting, but they can really become um, critical in the way in which we practically go about living the Christian life. So we understand. He says, It's not even the earnest and sincere endeavour to live to the mind of the Spirit of Christ. It is life. And that life is the life of Christ. He is our life, Colossians 3 verse 4. It is a continuation of the life of the risen Lord in his body, which is the church, in the sanctified believer, you and I. Christ lives in me is the essence of the Christian religion set forth in the New Testament. It's not a system, but a presence. It's the spirit of Christ indwelling, the spirit of men. This is the dispensation of the spirit. This is the administration of the spirit. This is is the foundation to holiness. And there the spirit leads, the spirit guides, the spirit teaches, the spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit. What's that? He's the, He's the governor. That's right. And so I pray that you're seeing, and the Lord through this is speaking to you, enlightening your understanding in various ways. But let me read to you again another scripture that we read the other week. But I want to read it and remind you of it in this context. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Does that mean there's liberty to do whatever we want? How you want? That's not the freedom that is in Christ. (laughs) It's far from it. That is an absolute corruption of the gospel. For for, he says we are at liberty to what? To what we've spoken about, to, to live as slaves to God. Listen to this, verse 18. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God is transforming us the spirit of god is making us like christ we are being changed from glory to glory that means that our very nature should be changing internally and externally it's not you know you can have all the externals looking good but what happens to the internals and you can also amen or me because that's the truth it's the holiness is likeness unto christ so it's internal first before it begins to manifest the outward it's the rest the outward is all fruit And there's the Spirit of God that is, is giving us, uh, and there's the liberty of the Spirit to what? To, to govern, to work, to change us, to transform us, to conform us, Romans 8, to conform us into the image of His Son, which in which we were predestined before the foundation of the world to be conformed to that image. That's holiness becoming like Christ. And it's a work of the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And then it will have all of its practical applications, as we will see as we continue in the series this morning. You see, we're at liberty to what? To choose to be a slave and a bondservant of God. To live what we call by the law of love. In First John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is our love to God, or this is how we show love to God. What does it say? We keep his commandments. Oh, that's legalism. No, it's not. Because when it's in its proper context and it's understood in the way which we've just addressed it, it, is, it is, this is biblical truth. So this is our love to God. Jesus said, if you love me, what did he say? Keep my commandments. You mean I have to do something? Yeah. You mean it's effort from me? Yeah. And so here it is. And so this is our love to God, that we keep his commandments. And listen to what it says. His commandments are not burdensome. They're not a burden. You see, people who view Christianity as an outward form say, oh, there's so many rules and I have to follow if I have to be a Christian. Well, you've just misunderstood Christianity. You see, we live by something far greater than that. We live by the law of love. You know, I say to people, uh, sometimes I'll have a conversation with someone that's married. And um, and you say, do you love your wife? I go, oh, yeah, I love my wife. I say, well, then why don't you go sleep with that next woman? Oh, because you're free. Oh, no, no, no. I love her. I wouldn't do that against her. I wouldn't violate. Because the law of love compels me. It binds me. It governs me. And it's not because I'm not allowed to. You can go do it if you want to, but I am. I am bound by something far deeper, far greater—the law of love. And here now we are bound by the law of love, and His commandments are not burdensome because you know what? I love God, and I want to please God, and I want to do what's right before God. And so, as the Spirit says, it's a delight to do Your will—not a burden. If it's a burden, then something's wrong in our hearts. And we need to examine our hearts. Say, Lord, because then you grow in resentment. I don't want to be a Christian. It's too hard. It's too much. Well, what's wrong? What do you mean? Just 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 abide in Christ. Just love God. And serve Him with all your heart and love Him with all your heart. And then all of these things will begin to manifest themselves. You bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit holiness unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for your word. My God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us. There's so much in all of this, Lord. And as I grapple with it, God, I trust, Lord, that you by your spirit are teaching, that you by your spirit are revealing, by you by your spirit are instructing, by you by your spirit are convicting. God, I ask that you would Lord, uh, just uh, uh, um, reveal these truths and establish us in these truths, Lord, so that we would understand holiness that is in Christ and the holy life that you are calling us to live. Father, this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Lord